The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. So you know how you like to do that sort of penis measuring test with that <laughs> speed test dot net to check your internet speed? Oh, that. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I thought this program was getting off to a really uncomfortable start. But okay. Yes. I know what you're talking about. Uh, okay. So I just had the bell guy into the house. So I want you to go to speed net dot or speed test dot net and okay. tell me the size of your current penis. <laughs> Or the current size of your penis. Okay, this is the uh, the machine here in the studio. Oh, don't go blaming the equipment. No, no, no. I'm just. I, I don't even know if this is hardware or. Is that Mac tired? Uh, it might be. And we are sitting. Okay, I should point out that it is. Uh, oh, start making excuses. You had a rough day. It's three minutes before seven o'clock on a Monday evening. <laughs> I am on a chain cable modem. What, what do you got? Hang on, I'm just finishing up the upload. What are you packing? Download is 30, mm-hmm. upload's 20. I now have fiber directly into the closet in my front hall. Oh, no. 50 megabits per second down, 50 megabits per second up, and the ping time, the, the millisecond delay is on yours? 22. Two. Well, good for you. That's okay. You still have bigger feet than me. (laughs) From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. A Canadian radio legend is retiring. We'll look back at 50 years of being on air. He says, oh, really? You, you, you never see that phrase before, air No, and I'm not doing You've it. You've been on the air <laughs> Oh, come on. A Canadian radio legend is retiring. We'll look back at 50 years of being on the air That's Michael's term, not mine. With Roger Ashby. <laughs> We'll also look back at five decades of Star Trek spin-offs, from toys to comics to models used in the show that Alan actually bought at his local hobby store. This is Trekkers Worldwide Salivate over the return of Patrick Stewart as Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Plus, our plans for the Consumer Electronics Show are taking shape. We've got a flight for Alan. We just don't know if he's sleeping on the streets. Probably am. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Uh, I have a couple of things that we have to deal with at some point during this program, so I'll uh, follow your lead into which block we put these things because um, they're both very important. Uh-oh, what's up? No, 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 it's fine. It's just you just tell me when I can talk about these things. Well, let's talk about it now. Okay, well, um, you sent me money to get into uh, Vest. Yes. Are, are we billionaires yet for investing in an individual song? No, 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 no. Well, you see, the problem was... Oh, no. We had this very long discussion. Now, Vest is this app that allows you to buy a piece of a song. You will actually own a certain uh, percentage of the copyright of this song and any royalties it generates. And I can't remember who we decided that we were going to invest in. It's not like the show is you can pull it up somewhere and listen to it again or anything. Well, I just didn't bother. But it, it doesn't really matter because that person's gone. What did you do with our 50 bucks? Well, you wait. I, I didn't wasn't going to do anything until you sent me the money. And you, 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 took, you took a week to send me the money. True. It's my fault. So uh, the person, and I can't remember, was a hip hopper. And I, we, he's gone. He's, he's off the table. So if we're going to invest in somebody, I'm, I'm going to suggest 
<laughs> that we invest in John Legend. Really? You were the business guy. You understand. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, go with what you know. You don't invest based on emotion. You invest on what you in what you think is going to give you the best possible return. Okay, so we're extracting emotion from this. John Legend is a superstar, a yes. known quantity. And when yes. you are investing in any security, the track record of management is, in fact, critical. Right. Therefore, you're telling me we're putting our 50 bucks into John Legend. I'm going in and we're putting in 50 bucks next. But, but now this is for one specific song. Is this a song he's put out yet? Or is this a song he's about uh, to? Yeah, no, it's a song from 2013 called so gone. Hey, I'ma do my thing. Yeah, yeah. I'ma do, I'ma do, I'ma do my thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was born at the end of December. Not afraid that the cold of the winter will keep me inside. Yeah. Ever since mama left me at home, I had to search for a class of my own and go there in my mind. I had a dream like Dr. King. I had a song I had to sing and I knew it wasn't make-believe. Said to me, baby, who do you wanna be? Say, I don't know, but I know that I'm gonna leave. I'm so So why bother investing in a five-year-old song? Because he's got a Christmas album coming out, and that tends to get, oh. to goose all, goose all his past stuff. Right. So he puts out a Christmas album. People go, oh, yeah, that guy's cool. I remember him from 2013. Right. And John Legend fans are still buying CDs as opposed to just streaming. <laughs> Or as opposed to just is that some sort of soccer mom reference? Well, no, it's it's not. I'm I'm just I've been doing I've been doing the due diligence on this one. Oh well, that's critical. All right, hang on. Oh, I'm doing it right now. I'm just gonna get out the credit card. <laughs> I don't know why you had to grunt. Well, just listen. Oh, that's the that's the second story. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll deal with with investing in in that in a minute. What, what's the second story? The uh, second story is uh, my wife got on the wrong go train. And uh, she found herself in deepest, darkest Etobicoke. And uh, she phoned me in a panic saying, I don't know where I am. I don't, can't find a cab. And I think somebody's following me. You know, they got the Internet on computers now. Well, and they even upgraded it to our phones. This is what I funny thing was that she did phone me. On her cell phone, which is a really odd thing for her to do. Right, your phone rang, and you're like, "Who the hell is actually calling?" Well, that's me? right, because she never uses her cell phone. So, oh, is she one of these who turns it off, like powers it off when she's not using it? Well, yeah, because then the battery's oh, gonna. Those people kill me. Oh, okay. Now I've got a problem here with um, with Vest. So I'm entering the credit card. And, and, and it's and it's deciding that you don't have a good enough taste to invest? No. What it does is it needs my zip code. Oh, we can't invest because we're Canadian? The only thing that comes up in the app is a number keypad. 
I want my 50 bucks back. All right. So, John Legend, sorry we tried to invest in your career, but uh, we have been stymied by the app. There's no hope for him now. Not at all. Let me just put my wallet back in my pocket. Hang on. Yep, grunt away. Tight pants. There we go. It's that internet connection that's uh, making the pants tight, you know. Is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> it's the internet connection. Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. So when I decided I wanted to be in radio, there were three DJs who were most influential in my time on the radio. The guy who got me my first job, Dan Williamson, his energy you know, taught me the importance of putting everything into your work. Alan, you, who taught me the me? importance. Yes, you, of all people. You, you helped teach me the importance of talking to someone, not speaking from a lectern like most broadcasters do. And 104.5 Chum FM's Roger Ashby, who sounded not like Rodney Radio, but like the guy next door you could relate to. And now I've only got 10 years in radio, 20 in television, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say the secret to Ashby's 50 years in broadcasting was exactly that. Sounding not like an announcer, but like a friend. So he joins us now for announcing his retirement will be December 5th. Roger, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. And why Why now, Roger? Why? Why? It's, 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 this upsets the, the natural order of things in the universe. It's like suddenly Lake Ontario isn't to the south. With you not on the radio in Toronto, something is definitely going to be wrong. The planet will shift on its axis and we will probably fall into the sun. So thanks a lot. <laughs> Well, the, the time just seemed right. You know, 50 years is a long time. I uh, maybe have overstayed my welcome by a few years. I'm, uh, I'm not getting any younger. Our audience is not getting any older. And I just thought it was time to do that. I, I am going to stay on and do some other things. I'm not leaving completely because I love what I do. So I couldn't do that. But I just, I just think the time is right. You were quoted as saying you couldn't imagine what else you'd be doing other than this because you're really not qualified to do anything. But as a guy who walked away from radio and TV, you know, there are things you can do outside of pushing a button and turning on a microphone. Really? Yes. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. Now, having said that, all the guys who I talked to at the beginning of my radio career, and I wanted to be a DJ, and, and of course, I got way off that path, um, said, screw going to school, Michael. Just get out there and get some experience in the business. And I think that was the kind of thing you could have done 50 years ago. Well, that was about the only thing you could have done 50 years ago, because there was Ryerson, which was, was, which was great. But Ryerson was very CBC-oriented. It wasn't commercial radio. And uh, there were really very few community colleges, if, if any. And I had known since I was 10 that I wanted to work in radio. So when I was 17, I got a part-time job during high school. And during the summer between high school and university, I was offered a job, full-time job in Hamilton. So my parents had always been supportive of me. And they said, go for it, which I did. And uh, I never looked back. But, you know, nowadays, CKOC in Hamilton, that's right. So nowadays there are so many colleges you can go to, so many different uh, different avenues you can take 
to get into broadcasting, not all of which I think are great, but seriously, the, the best way to learn is just to be on the air. You know, like get a small job in the northern part of Saskatchewan somewhere and work your way back to wherever it is you want to be. If those stations even existed anymore, but they all seem to be repeaters now. We, we, we see this in radio and TV. Yeah, that that's true. I, even, even that may have been an outdated comment. You're right, because... So many uh, overnight shows, for example, are, are voice tracked or syndicated, if not even their evening shows or <laughs> even their daytime shows. So, yeah, it is it is difficult. But, you know, there are a lot of people who go to radio college wanting to be on the air because that's all they know about radio. And they think, oh, this is glamorous. What an easy way to make a living. And then when they get there, they think they find out that the, that's really not for them. Maybe they're better on the control board as a producer, or maybe they've got the skills to be in sales, or maybe they're engineers. So it helps you find your way if you do go to these colleges. Let me ask you this. My introduction there. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Because you had an option. You could have early in your career ended up sounding like this. And so many guys did. Got to tell you, Michael, before you were born, I did sound like that. 1050 Chum Toronto. Well, 29 with Roger Ashby and Solid Gold. Let your mind wander back to 1962. Dion. Oh, I'm the type of guy who will never settle down. Tell me about that evolution of Roger Ashby. What was it that had you make that change that gave you the sound that you have today? Well, I largely think it was when I started to work with someone else on the air. And the first time that occurred was in 1982 when I worked with Mike Holland on 1050 Chum doing the morning show. And suddenly you weren't the, you weren't the guy in the isolated booth doing the, the Ron radio thing, as you described. You were speaking to another person. Hi, today near 18, our low tonight down to 5, and, well, tomorrow it's been changed now, revised forecast, high of only 15 on Saturday, which is, uh, things have changed. We thought there, here, here was a day to barbecue to set up a pool. I mean, this can make a guy really confused. 15 will be all right. If we get some sun, that'll be okay. That's half of what it was on Monday, though. But when yeah. you think about it, we've had a good week of weather, have we not? It's been a good week. If somebody took their summer holidays this week, they enjoyed themselves. Yeah, that's true. I think that's what changed, and I did that for three years on AM before uh, I moved over to FM, where I joined Marilyn and Rick Hodge, and now we've got a three-way conversation. So you, you, can't, you can't do that kind of thing anymore. But there was a time when that's what was required, and that, that's what they wanted you to do, because they wanted that higher energy. What time do you get up for work? Yeah, yeah, why are you even talking to us at 7 o'clock at night? Shouldn't you be asleep by now? No, I, I, I get up at 4, which really isn't as early as some people get up, and... Uh, I, I sleep in the afternoon. I have for 35 years so that I can have an evening. How have you adapted when it comes to this split sleeping schedule? Now, my wife did mornings for, for 27 years. And right. she, at, the, at the end of it, she was getting up at 1.50 a.m. So she could be at her desk oh. at 3 o'clock. So she, oh she, was, yeah, she was getting up at last call. Oh, that's uh, absurd. And then she would get home, you know, somewhere around 10, 1030 and then sleep for a couple of hours and then try to have an evening with me and the dogs. But, you know, it, it became very difficult. So um, oh, that's really early, really brutal. And, and it took a toll on her health and, and everything else. Oh, yeah. Sure. How, how have you managed to stay healthy getting up? And, well, and, I don't I don't I don't get up at 10 to 2 <laughs> okay, that's one. o'clock. You know, four o'clock is not that not that unreasonable one when I think about it, because I go to bed at 10. So maybe I get five and a half, even five hours sleep in total. 
And then if I sleep an hour and a half, an hour and a half in the afternoon, which I do, then I'm up to six and a half hours, which which is, you know, it's worked for the last 35 years. So that, that, that's what I've done. I got to say, if, two things. One, uh, I'm tickled that you also got into radio at 17, as I did. I'm working overnights. Yeah. And two, the overnights for me, I found over the course of my, my broadcast career that it was, I preferred overnights to early mornings because you're, you're, your schedule was literally mirror of the real world. And so yeah. you were getting up to go to work at the times that your friends were getting off work and having a, an evening. You could actually have a social life. What? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. You, you, you couldn't indulge in any alcohol, of course, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I did enjoy working overnights. I did that for two and a half years, but I, I was 20 to 22 years old at the time. I loved it. And in those days, uh, for the most part, we had uh, board ops. So I wasn't alone. I had somebody there with me. And at five o'clock, we'd go out for breakfast, you know. So I enjoyed that. I couldn't do that now. Uh, but I'm I'm not uh, at all. I don't at all regret doing it those first couple of years. I, I enjoyed it. We got a question from Twitter. Shane asks, what has been the biggest advancements in radio technology since the beginning of your career? The biggest differences from working for a station owned uh, by a mom and pop outfit to being owned by Bell? I guess those are two questions. Okay, well, the the, the technical question I can't really answer because I'm not up on that. I, you know, I turn the turn the microphone off, I turn the microphone on, and I turn the microphone off. So, uh, technology has changed, of course. But when I first started, we were queuing up 45s on a turntable. So, uh, of, of course, it's changed. But I really can't speak to technology changing. I just know that it has, and I know that social media has taken over to the point where uh, I question it sometime because are we a radio station or we are, are we uh, an Instagram service? Um, but that, that's just old me speaking. In terms of uh, working for a family versus a corporation, of course I prefer the family, and I think anybody would. I worked for 40 years for the Waters family, and they were more than generous and kind to me. I have nothing at all negative to say about them. And I've, I've said this recently, that there were two or three occasions where they could have easily let me go because things just weren't working out to their satisfaction or mine. And they never did. They, they were very reluctant to ever let anyone go. They would find something for you to do that best suited your ability. And that kept me going. And um, uh, I'll just give you an example. I went into programming in the mid-70s because I thought that was the next step up. I didn't like it. I didn't want to sit behind a desk. They knew that I wasn't the right guy. And a couple of years later, well, four years later, it was mutually decided I wasn't the guy. Sound familiar, Alan? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, they very easily could have said, okay, that's it. Time's up. See you later. But they didn't. They put me back on the swing and they gave me some part-time programming. And then when Tom Rivers got let go for the fourth time in 1982, uh, because I wasn't doing a regular shift, they gave me the morning show on 1050. But it was still on a temporary basis until we find the right person. So I did what we called Lotto 6 to 9 for three years. <laughs> and in 1985, uh, Ross Davies, uh, who was the program director of Chum FM, and Duff Roman, who was the operations manager, said, why don't you come over to FM? I said, great. So I go over to FM, and uh, and there I am now doing the morning show. So there were a couple of occasions when they could have easily said, eh, see you later. And in this corporate world now, I'm pretty sure that's what they would do. But having said all that, 
Bell Media over the last 10 years has been very good to me. I really have no complaints. It's just if you want a pen, you've got to call Montreal. <laughs> but apart from that, things are pretty good. Listen, I have a lot of the same stories as Roger, but uh, let me uh, let me try this one. Um, so when did you actually start doing the, the Chum FM morning show? What year was that? 85, wasn't it? September of 85. It was 85, September of 85, yeah. right. And, and at that point, yeah. Chum FM was still pretty much a rock station, wasn't it? Well, that was the transition. You know, they'd gone from the underground FM, recognizing that things were changing and they were competing with Q107. And I'm not, I don't remember exactly why they changed. I was still on AM, but they, they decided they needed to make a change. And once they decided to go to a more top 40 approach, because, you know, artists like Madonna and, David Bowie and all these people were were pretty popular artists, and they felt that they had to they had to play those artists rather than you know side two cut three of a Frank Zappa album. Uh, they they made the change, and they were looking for somebody to do mornings, and things hadn't worked out quite as uh, everybody had hoped on AM in the morning. So they invited me over to FM. That's interesting. How back then, AM was such a huge money maker for these companies. Yeah. And I I remember working for Chum in Winnipeg, and there was CFRW on the AM side and Q94 FM on the FM side, and the AM guys would always lord it over top of us. This would be the early 80s. You know, we're making all the money in the cluster. You, well, you and your FM radio. Yeah. Ha! I know. I know. But, but that changed, didn't it, Alan? It, it oh. gradually changed with the advent of... of, of uh, Walkmans and CDs and things like that. People started to realize music sounded a lot better on FM than AM, and uh, they, they, if they were uh, even um, the kind of person who liked the hits, they wanted to hear them in FM clarity as opposed to AM. Well, if I recall correctly, you know your rival up the street there on Young Street at uh, at CFTR, uh, they. they they simulcast CHFI AM as CHFI FM because they didn't think anyone would be listening to the FM station. Yeah, then they changed the... Oh, uh, is that the, right? I, yeah, oh, they did that for a I while. I didn't know that. that. But that was, uh, that was under the old rules. And then renamed it CFTR. Yeah. 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 No, I, I wasn't aware of that. I have two Roger Ashby-related stories. <laughs> One of them was you, you would from time to time reference the studio audience. There'd be a clapping in the background, some some giggles and things like that. And at 16, I decided I radio was the thing for me. And if I was going to get into radio, I'll be damned. I'm going to make sure I get into that Roger, Rick, and Maryland studio audience. Oh. And so I made the trip up to 1331 Young Street. Oh, yeah? Walked firmly into the reception, stood right in front of the woman behind the counter and said, Hi, how do I get in for the studio audience? And it had to have been the thousandth time that day the woman had had to say... It's just a bunch of us they call in so we can clap. <laughs> I felt like three inches tall. Really? Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> but that's that theater of the mind, right? That, that, that you create yeah. when, you, when yeah. you've got that environment and that power. My, my, my other one, though, was years later, and it was, a, it was a career highlight of mine to sit across from you in the studio when we had a, a TV show called App Central with Amber MacArthur. And I remember that. Right. Yes. Uh, and yeah, of course. So we were asked to come in with an app of the day, and Amber had her app. I can't even remember what it was. And there we were sitting in the green room waiting to go on, and she said, so what's your app? And my app, she said, would terribly upset Marilyn Dennis. Oh. She's like, listen, 
I, I, I really don't think that you should use that app. And I thought, this is a brilliant app. It's an early morning. The, the, the premise was apps to get your work day going. It's a Monday morning. How do you, you slough off the Mondays and get your day going? What is the app that gets you going in the morning? Right. And I had a young child at the time. And when, as I'm sure you're very much aware, when you've got a young child trying to get them out the door, it can be a real pain in the ass if they're not in the mood for, to get out the door. And there was this one app that I had used that she absolutely adored. And Amber said, you shouldn't do this app on Chum FM. And I thought, I'm going to do it anyway because it's tied to the news of the day. There had been a big tragedy recently and a dollar out of every $3 spent on the app went to this tragedy and the app had a single button on it. And she said, listen, I'm serious. You probably shouldn't do this app. And I did it anyway. It was a fart app. And the moment I hit that fart button, (laughs) I looked over and Marilyn had this look on her face like Get out of my studio. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) And the problem was, was that the volume on my phone, which is generally on vibrate because of TV environment, I didn't turn it up loud enough. So the studio heard the fart, but the listener really didn't hear it that well. And you, sir, saved the day by pulling out, like not even skipping a beat, pulled out of a drawer a little toy with multiple buttons on it that did the exact same thing. (laughs) I still have that. I just changed the batteries in it the other day. (laughs) I got to tell you, I don't really remember that. But I don't blame you. The word fart is not something we say on the air. (laughs) We try to avoid that kind of stuff. but. It wouldn't have upset me as uh, much as a her, I guess. Well, I appreciate you saving my butt on that. She, to her credit, <laughs> made a point of saying hello to me every time we saw each other in the commissary. And I don't know if it was because I said to, to, to Amber afterwards, I'm convinced she hates me now. <laughs> <laughs> she probably does. I mean, you wouldn't blame well, her. I don't blame her, no. Well, that's a funny story. But she was your, your work wife for years. Yes, of course. She still is. She always will be, whether I'm there or not. And and her mother once said, uh, the only reason that we survived 32 years is because we never had sex. And she may be right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're not going to walk away from things completely. Because, again, what I said at the beginning about the earth slipping off its axis and everybody spitting into the sun. Uh, if you're not on, on Toronto radio, it's just not going to be the same. So please oh, stick around well. for as long as you possibly can, because we need constancy in our lives. And uh, you have certainly provided that well that's very nice very nice of you to say that and i I enjoy uh, the work that each of you do i think that uh both of you have uh, have to be commended for all the things you've contributed over the decades alan i love your uh, i love your reports that you do and you're you're a very talented guy and michael you've you've done a lot for bnn over the years and i I think what you guys both do is uh is ways is wonderful work well thanks so much roger thank you for being an inspiration in my career well thank you for telling me that I, I, I'm honored. Ashby's last show, December 5th, a star-studded affair with a live audience broadcast from the Sheridan Center in Toronto. Roger, thank you. Okay, guys, thanks very much. Got a question about music, love, that suspicious rash? Ask Alan anything. Call 323-319-NERD. Hey, Alan, Grant from Brampton here. You seem to have a discriminating palate. Seem to enjoy good quality whiskeys. You've recommended some good Japanese whiskeys to me over the years. So with this in mind, why is it you choose to drink things like soju or truck stop vodka from Vietnam? Because every once in a while you need to clean out your colon. 
And that requires <laughs> uh, what we would call a very strong alcoholic detergent. Both of those things qualify. Sounds like the male version of Gwyneth Paltrow's goop. Well, it does. Um, but let me tell you, it is a very powerful thing. Yeah, and I am. By the way, I, I didn't tell you this. But uh, on, let's see, today is October the 29th. On October, November the 10th, I'm heading back to Thailand to do another one of my detoxes. Oh, well, bring me back some truck stop vodka. Uh, you want more of that? I can do that. Oh, no, that's I didn't Vietnamese. have any of that. No, no, that's the Vietnamese stuff. Um, I will bring you back some, uh, I'll, I'll bring you back some Thai whiskey. Oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. No, I can do that. And, and, and I will never see again. Uh, listen, Thai whiskey tastes a lot like rum for some reason. Oh, all right. Um, and it's, it's actually very good with Diet Coke. So here's the problem with the Ask Alan Anything is we've got a phone number. I wonder if people don't believe we actually have a phone number, but that number actually does work, and you can actually call us. But that seems very old-school radio. Maybe maybe we need to do what Grant did, which was just email an audio clip from his phone, or just go on Twitter and send us a Twitter video, and we'll sp- strip the video off it and, and play it on the podcast. Well, that might be, might be the only way. To, yeah, let's do it that way. Because I don't think people want to call the 323 number, which is a Los Angeles number. Um, no, that's true. And I don't know why we have a... Well, it's because Skype um, made that available, and it was the only one that had nerd as the last four digits. Okay. And they don't do one for Toronto. That's interesting. Stupid Skype. Time now for Geeks and Beats Update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. You are so going to love this. No. Segment producer Derek Dresser is reporting on the history of the Star Trek spinoff as we wait for the Picard reboot. This is the comedy thing? No, he's focusing on spinoffs, including toys. Oh. oh. Now, you being a huge Star Trek fan, particularly in the early days, would know, as he reports, that the first real merchandise for Star Trek were rack toys, which were cheap toys found in dollar stores, grocery stores, drug stores, dime stores, that bared very little resemblance to the property that they were tied to. For example, a parachuting Spock. Vaguely, vaguely remember that. Now, two spin-off products, he reports, that were available while the show was finding its way during the original run are actually very unique today. They were AMT model kits that, um, of course, because of a licensing deal that Gene Roddenberry cut with AMT, the licensing fee included provisions for providing the show with models to use in the show. And some of the first models were seen in episodes like the Doomsday Machine and the Trouble with Tribbles, the iconic shuttlecraft seen in the episode Galileo 7 was an AMT kit. I know that. Uh, You have just triggered a memory. And I remember buying that shuttlecraft model and on the on the box was a little sticker saying as seen on the episode Galileo 7 
the actual first media spin-off of Star Trek was print. So it was books, original novels, episode adaptions. By James Blish. Blish, yes. The adaptions, adaptations were often based on early draft scripts which were first released in 1967 while they were still airing weekly episodes. I remember all those, yes. I bought them. Of course, the big, the biggest spin-off of Star Trek that you could possibly point to was in 1972, where the convention was born. Uh, and that was also around about the time that there was a Saturday morning cartoon version of Star Trek. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. last for very long but I think maybe two seasons Saturday mornings and I think they're the the actual actors voice their parts too In September, which was, I guess it was about a, almost to the day, a, a month after we had learned in August that uh, Patrick Stewart was going to return as Captain Jean-Luc Picard in some form of reboot, cast members from The Next Generation had a reunion dinner, and now the Trekkies are all wondering if this is a taste of what's to come for CBS All Access. Uh, after all the major... The, the, the picture had... Fans in a frenzy, according to Deadline, as they speculated the reunion might go from a casual dinner to actually rebooting the show itself. Right. Okay. Are you excited? Yeah, I, I actually am. Anything to do with Star Trek uh, it, it has my uh, has my interest. I went to speak at uh, Fanshawe College in London. Oh yeah. On Saturday, and uh, on my way back, I was listening to the new book by William Shatner. Which is called Live Long. Oops, here we go. Live Long and um, something or other. <laughs> Wait a minute. You don't remember what it was called and it wasn't Prosper? Hang on here. No, it was if, Live Long. If it wasn't Live Long and Prosper. No, no, How could oh, it, it is not called stick Live Long and What I Learned Along the Way by William Shatner. Wow, that's a pretty weak title. Yeah, well, anyway. He's a friend of yours. you got to be cool. He is. Now, which brings me to this. I'm going to play you. I have the audio book because I like listening to books. It just saves me a lot of time because I spend a lot of time on the road. Uh, I'm going to play you a segment from this, and I don't think it's going to get us in trouble copyright-wise because we're using this as uh, an educational tool. Are you, are you ready? I'm just going to play this into the speaker here. you ready? Nice working with you. Yeah, here we go. The pages on my schedule. I created my one-man show. Now, it's performance art. I wrote the show. I helped create the staging. I take the show on the road for a week or more, several times a year. I, I like to refer to it as the William Shatner Without Dancing Girls show. It's just me, on stage for almost two hours. My friend Brad Paisley wrote a song that includes the lyric, I'm an entertainer, and that's all. And that's the object of my show. Let me entertain for 90 minutes. I'll tell some stories. I'll sing a few songs. I schmooze. When I first started doing the show, I was on stage with another person. 
I usually recruited a well-known DJ from a local radio station to sit opposite me and ask questions. But when I was invited to perform the show at the Music Box Theater on Broadway, I changed the structure. I eliminated the questions and replaced the other person with a chair. The rolling chair became my prop. It was my motorcycle. It's my horse. It's a Fiat 500 with an imaginary big Pete. Wow. That's me. Didn't even mention you by name. I know. Are you crushed? <laughs> well, at least he at least he took he mentioned the empty chair because I've chided him about that on a, a couple of occasions. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I burst out laughing when I was when I heard that. It's like, oh, okay. Well, I did get a veiled mention in in his book. Yeah. Yeah, you did. I did. You, you made an impact. I did. You, you taught him that he could do it himself. Yes. Now, for people who are wondering what we're talking about back in 2011, I was the other person, the questioner, uh, on the How Time Flies tour, which ran from Vancouver to Montreal. Uh, so I was the, well, the, the well-known DJ from Canada who did the whole tour. Yeah, you did Canada, but didn't you also travel with him elsewhere in the world? Uh, no, I didn't, but he did do this once in Australia, and he used some other guy down there, so... Did he look at all like you? I have no idea. All I know is that uh, the person in Australia was never mentioned by name. Well, clearly internet speed isn't the only measurement tool you use. No, no, it's not. I uh, I judge my success in this life as to which starship captain I have the closest <laughs> relationship with. Y'all still want me to come with you? So we're uh, making progress on our big plans for the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Yeah, we are actually. I uh, I managed to book the flight. Uh, I managed to convince the wife to come with me, and I managed to get her on the same flight using points. <laughs> if it was seated next to her, or did you put her in cattle class? No, I. It's it's Air Canada rough. You refuse to call it Rouge. I refuse to call it Rouge. It is. It, there's there's nothing. It's a terrible airline. I'm flying business class and staying at the MGM Grand. Wait, wait, wait. On what airline? Oh, I don't even know. I got people for this shit. It's, it's, it's probably rough. And, uh, okay, well, enjoy it, what, you, what you're getting. I'm in an exit row, so I'll be fine. Um, where are you staying? At the MGM Grand. Oh, okay. Um, where are you staying? Well. Please don't say the Luxor. Don't make me tell you my Luxor sex spot story again. No, no, no. It's not going to be Luxor. It's not going to be Paris. It's uh, not going to be uh, Circus Circus or any of those. I, I think it's going to be the Mirage. Go to the, go to the Cosmopolitan. Feel really old. What? Yeah, the Cosmopolitan is the hippest joint on the street. Really? Oh, yeah. You, you, you are easily 30 years too old for it. For what, the Cosmopolitan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, hang on. I sent the travel agent, Laura. I'm kind of being facetious. I don't think you'd feel comfortable. Well, where am I supposed to? I, I don't know. I mean, I stayed at the Palms the last time, which was fine, but that's, uh, that's not on the strip, and I want to be close enough. Stay at Treasure Island. No! W w wake up in, a, in a, an old 18th century sailing vessel bedroom. No, okay. Doesn't that scream grown up? Okay, screw you. I'm staying at the Mirage. You're, you're, I'm, I'm mocking the whole thing because you know my opinion on Vegas generally. Well, it, yeah, and, and it's, it's it's the same as mine. But uh, my wife hasn't been there since 1971. 
Oh my god. So I... Like, Sinatra was playing in 1971. Well, this, this is my point. The Rat Pack was still in charge. Now, this could only happen to a guy like me. And only happen in a town like this. And so I say to each of you, most faithfully, as I throw each one of you a kiss, this is my kind of town, Chicago is my kind of town. I, I don't want to get this wrong because, you know, she's... I don't want to screw this up with the wife. I, I, I understand. So that's why I'm suggesting that, and yeah, you, she's probably not going to feel very comfortable. Unless unless she's comfortable wearing almost no clothing whatsoever. I don't understand. Is that what the Cosmopolitan is all about? All, all the kids over? today are, are barely wearing anything. It's January. We're in the desert in January. It's not going to be that and, warm. And that's a very important point. People always, when they found out I was going to see us, are like, oh my God, in Las Vegas, you're going to have a great time. Hang out by the pool. I'm like, you do know. That it's like thirteen degrees. Yeah, I mean you got to wear a jacket. It's and it's 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 chilly. It's cold at night. So we've managed to uh, secure a broadcast platform at the Las Vegas Convention Center, so we can do a live on Facebook Live show, and we're going to do it as a lunchtime show. So if you are in the Eastern Time Zone, where the majority of the audience is. Um, you will be able to catch us on your lunch break. Uh, anywhere else, well, unfortunately, you're just going to have to take the day off work. Mm. Fine. Uh, so the Mirage is the closest hotel I can afford to the Las Vegas, Las Vegas Convention Center. There were I, I see that there were four different areas for CES. Yes. And the big one is the big area is at the Convention Center. Yeah, it's three buildings. CES East. East, West, and South. Right. Do I care about West and South? What you care about is, because you're a car guy, you're going to care about the automotive section, which I believe is the East. That's the big one. The West is the other big one, where the consumer electronic stuff, as opposed to the big shots like Ford, GM, all the automakers with their self-driving cars and things like that, you want to avoid the building that is pretty much wall-to-wall iPad cases and vaporizer pens. Yes, absolutely. I have no interest in that. No, in drones and crap like that. So you're going to want to avoid that. Which so one's that? Are, is that South? That is the South building. I, it, well, they may change it up. I don't know. Well, no, there, there's actually a, a floor plan published already. Oh, that I didn't see. Yeah, go to CES.net uh, or whatever it is and you'll find oh, look it. Look at you. All dialed into the Well, I'm, I'm excited about this. I want to go. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Oh, you're going to absolutely hate every minute well, of it. Well, probably, but I at least it yeah. will get me... At least be able to say you went. Uh, yes, that's it. We want to say thank you to our latest patron. Uh, who? I don't know how to pronounce this person's name. As a matter of fact, just to ensure that I'm not the only one screwing it up. There, I just uh, sent it to you. Oh, God. How do you pronounce that? Megaruneko? Megaruneko, yeah. Is a member of the World's Worst Intern Program. If you don't already know, and you probably do, what makes it the world's worst is you pay us a dollar to work on the show, don't do any actual work, and all we do is say thank you. We also want to say thank you to other patrons like Aaron Warner, Antoinette Van Dickenberg, Cameron Galbraith, Craig Aiken, and others. We are desperately trying to raise more cash since I emptied the bank account paying for your flight to Vegas for CES in January. I appreciate that. Oh, and uh, Stan and Taco um, from the dog park, they did drop off their check for $100. All right. So we have to include them someplace. 
Thank you so much for that. Um, so here's the idea is it's probably going to cost us about a thousand bucks to live stream the show. What? That's if we want to do it like a proper professional television environment. Can we maybe not do it like a proper? <laughs> this is me we're talking oh, about. God, yeah. All right. Yeah, okay. What, what what comes in between now and then? And, and I am, I guess I am, uh, I'm covering my own hotel room, yes? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, okay. Fine, fine, fine. Let's, uh, let's beg for some money. Maybe, maybe there'll be some generous Christmas checks coming in. Maybe if we get a big fat donation, we will make that person a segment producer for the show and they can tell us what to do. Exactly. Not like we haven't had enough bosses in this business. <laughs> yeah. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes and watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. 1050 Chum. 12.36. Roger Ashby here at Chum playing solid gold. More today than yesterday because it's a million dollar weekend today and all weekend long. It's the spiral staircase from just last year. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.